Welcome to PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Podcast Series. This podcast is an excerpt from PwC's Tax Reform Readiness Webcast Series held on January 17, 2018, focusing on the new territorial tax system and anti-deferral rules. The panelists for the webcast were Ken Kuykendall, PwC's Tax Services Leader, Mike DeFranzo, a PwC tax partner focusing on international tax issues, Nini Dewar, a PwC tax partner also focusing on international tax issues, and Peter Merrill, a PwC tax partner and leader of our National Economics and Statistics team. This podcast excerpt consists of a discussion among the panelists on the basics of the new guilty provision. Why don't we go ahead and move into um, the guilty area. Nini, if you would, maybe you can walk us through those those provisions. Yeah, thanks, Ken. So guilty or global intangible low-taxed income is the, the new provision that, um, if you think about what Mike just said, we have a territorial system. Our existing anti-deferral regime is still here with us. It's, it's um, you know, all the subpart of services, sales, income, they're all still here, but now we have a new bucket of, of income that could be subject to current taxation, and that's the, the guilty. And and I think um, the, the, the name actually might be a little bit misleading in the sense that it has an intangible reference in there, but in fact, the the when you when we go through the mechanics, you will find that a lot of the income gets pulled in because there's a fixed return that is the floor, and then everything else that that falls out of that is picked up. So, so it can catch you know more than intangible income. But basically, the provision um, really requires the U.S. shareholder of a CFC to include in its gross income um, the guilty income uh, in, in in a way that is similar to subpart of income, and. The, the effect of the rule is really to, to tax currently this income to the extent that the income of the CFC is not already picked up elsewhere in, in the subpart of regime or um, as effectively connected income. And there's some other exclusions that, that we'll go through in a minute. And then um, to, to the extent that income of the CFC exceeds the, the routine return, uh, what, what they call um, um, uh, the net return on tangible, and, and, and that is... Um, 10% of the of the, uh, the basically tangible assets, which we'll, we'll go into detail. But then the, the sort of the the break that that this provision is given is that the income is only going to be taxed um, at 50% because there is a 50% deduction that is allowed. But then again, this deduction is allowed only for corporate. U.S. shareholders, so not available for individual shareholders, and then the deduction will will go down from 50 percent to 37 and a half percent after 2025. So, effectively, what that means is the income is going to be taxed in the U.S. at effective rate of 10.5 percent based on the 21 percent um, corporate rate. Now, a couple of key relevant points is the foreign tax credit um, is still available for for the for the guilty income that the U.S. has to pick up, but the the credit is only allowed for um, 80% of the taxes paid, which means that um, the you, you can't credit the entire 100% of the taxes paid overseas, which means that given the U.S. effective tax rate on the income of 10.5% and, and with the 20% foreign, uh, foreign tax credit haircut, that, that leaves um, the, the foreign tax rate at 13.125% um, to, to not be subject to um, incremental U.S. tax, um, assuming there's no expense allocation, which we'll get into that in a bit. So 
getting into sort of the more specific definition of you know how we come up with the the, the guilty um, amount and, and and the mechanics of the rule. So guilty is defined as the excess of the U.S. shareholders' net tested net CFC tested income over uh, its net deemed intangible income return, and um, the, the test is done on a U.S. shareholder by U.S. shareholder level. So if the company has a U.S. group, then it has multiple U.S. subsidiaries that own a bunch of CFCs in the various chain that the, the income, that the starting point has to be U.S. shareholder by U.S. shareholder basis. And then, um, so, so when we start with the net CFC tested income, that is really the the aggregate of the U.S. shareholders' share of the tested income in each of the CFC over the tested um, loss of the CFC. And, and so when we were talking about the, the different U.S. shareholder um, chain, so you could end up with um, a U.S. shareholder in one chain that has tested loss and the other has tested income, you actually cannot really net them because, because they're in a different U.S. shareholder chain. So it's something to be mindful about when, when you know, when people think about their structure. That oh, overall we have a, you know, net loss in the system, but that might not get taken into account depending on how the structure, the legal structure is. So that the, the, the next, the next step after looking at the tested income is looking at the net deemed tangible income return, and that is really a measure of what is. The, the, the proxy of the, the, the routine return on the tangible assets. So the calculation is the 10% of the aggregate share of the, the, the qualified business asset investment or QBAI of each CFC. And so whatever that tangible asset basis you have, 10%, that's the, that's the amount that could get reduced uh, from the shareholder, um, the, the tested income. That, that's the routine income that you're talking about to which that's a base before we get to anything above that, right? Right. Yeah. And there's a there's a little rule around interest expense that has to be reduced, that, that has to reduce the, the, the 10% on the, the, the asset to the extent the, the interest expense is um, is used in calculating the, the, the tested income of the CFC if the corresponding income isn't included in the tested income. So, so a little red herring there to, to take that into account. But in, in general, just think about it as the 10% of the, of the asset basis. So then you ask the question, OK, what, what is the tested income of the CFC? And it's not really E&P. It's, it's the taxable income of the CFC. And, and, and the way that the rules are provided um, it, it, are that the a number of items are excluded from the gross income. Basically, anything that is already taxed currently under the existing law today, like effectively connected income or subpart of income from you know sales or services or passive income, those those will be taken out of the the, the test of the gross income to calculate the guilty provision. Also, there, there's some other um, categories of income that are excluded, right? Like um, uh, foreign-based companies' income that um, are excluded from subpart F because of the high tax um, exception under 954b4, or dividend received from related person and 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 oil and gas extraction income, then that income is reduced by the deduction that that 
is properly allocable to to the income. So it, the calculation is kind of similar to how you would calculate the subpart of the net subpart of income, where you start with the gross income, you reduce it by the, the, the related um, expenses to get to the tested income. And tested loss is, uh, is calculated the same way, except that it results in a, in, in a negative num number. So you net those two, and you get to the net tested income for, for, for the US shareholder. I think we mentioned already about the QBAI or the qualified business asset investment. And, and that is basically any depreciable um, tangible assets um, will get counted to that. Um, the next item on here, deemed paid credit. And, and I guess we, we touched upon that briefly, that um, the rules allow for foreign tax credit, but with a haircut, so you only get to use eighty percent of the credit, and and the calculation is based on the, the the inclusion percentage, which is really calculated based on what is the total guilty amount that is being picked up over the aggregate tested income. Because, like we said, that there's a portion that might get might not get picked up because of the the ten percent return on on tangible assets. And that gets multiplied with the, the total uh, tested uh, foreign t income tax of the CFC. The, the, the really important part is, is on the, the, the basket that is created as part of this rule. So there's a guilty inclusion, but then that inclusion, th th there, there's a new category of, of foreign tax credit really called guilty basket. And, and so the income taxes that are paid in that basket cannot be used against other um, basket of income and the, the, that the taxes cannot be carried forward or carried back. So it's, it becomes just a current year test. So um, you do the calculation for each year and the taxes that cannot be used are just gone. Yeah, all this is isolated into a current year calculation, essentially looking at you know, your tested income for the year, looking at the amount of taxes you paid for the year, no, no pooling concept to any of this, and no carry forward related to any of this, just simply because of the way that the basketing works, right? Right. Okay. And, and I think the, the one interesting point, too, is that the way that the tested foreign income tax is defined is that it has to be the tax accrued or paid by the CFC that are, that are attributable to the CFC tested gross income. So there's a question... Not the question, but the result of that is if you have lost CFCs that actually pay tax, um, their taxes are not going to be taken into account because it's not included in the gross in, uh, tested gross income calculation. So, Nini, when you walk through that, I mean, one of the things that struck me as I first started to read Guilty was how quantitative it is and how intensive yeah. it is to sort of get to numbers. Um, that I mean, I, I think a lot of subpart F has been pretty quantitative, high tax exception or other things as people walk through, but this really seems to have taken it to a new level. As and, absolutely, yeah. Because it's, it's when, when it was subpart F, you kind of look at the specific types of income that is subject to that, you know, subpart F regime. But here, it's all the income of the CFC, right. and every CFC in the system would have to be taken into account. And I know people have to maintain, you know, E&P and all that for 5471 reporting, but, but to an extent they don't bring the, the, the earnings back, they may not, you know, spend a lot of time thinking about the adjustments and 
the details of that, but here, like all the income is being picked up. I mean, <clears throat> Mike, that struck me when I was initially looking through it, when I think about the talent that our clients are going to have to have going forward, because computing the U.S. taxable income related to foreign operations, you're right, there was a tracking exercise before, mm -hmm. but is an intensely quantitative exercise that is going to require someone to be thinking about it that way and also tools or other sorts of technology that's out there to just keep track of, of this and be able to do it on an annual basis because it, it is an insanely calculate or a complex calculation. Um, and there's also an overlap as I see this with a little bit with transfer pricing professionals and we'll get into in a subsequent web webcast talking about BEAT as well. But when you look at those components sort of coming together, there's so much additional focus on returns, things like that, that all factor into TP being more tied into what, what folks are doing from a domestic and international perspective. Those are a couple of my takeaways, just looking at the talent base. Yeah. Peter, so in effect, it's a very, very complicated min-tax provision, right? <laughs> Maybe the most in the world, the most complicated. Well, as we'll see, it's not so minimum a min-tax. Yes, that can apply I know, we'll get to rates. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Why don't you go through the flow chart, yeah. um, I think, right? Yeah, so so very quickly, I think, I, I like this flow chart because I think it kind of captures, since it's so mechanical and there's so many defined terms and, and you know, as you go through the provision. So this kind of summarizes it that as, you know, you start with the tested income of all the CFC, then you look at the tested loss and you come up with the third box, which is the, the net CFC tested income. Then you go to the next step, which is the net deemed tangible uh, income return, and that's the 10% of QBI that, that we talked about. Then you get net of the, the tested income and the, the net deemed, intang deemed tangible income return, you get to the guilty amount. Then with the guilty amount, you, you get the foreign tax credit, the Section 78 gross up. Again, that is included at a 100% at of the, the, the taxes, even though at the end when you do the deemed pay calculation, you, you deemed pay credit calculation, you get 80%. But at this point, you, you pick up the taxes at 100%. Then you get to the U.S. shareholder inclusion. And if you are a corporate shareholder, then the next step is you get the 50% deduction um, to come to the tentative um, guilty amount. Uh, to be subject to U.S. tax, then you apply the 21% rate, you get the tentative guilty tax. After the tentative guilty tax, then you do the foreign tax credit limitation, and, and you can credit up to 80% of the taxes paid, and that's how you get to the, the U.S. tax liability. And as we talked about earlier, if you have excess credit in this basket, you cannot use it to offset against anything else. Clear as day, right? <laughs> <laughs> But one of the points you made, too, in going through that is you said, you know, and if you're a corporate shareholder, um, and I think it's important to note that there's a really different way of looking at guilty, whether you're a corporation and the way you're doing your calculation or an individual or pass through with individuals on top. Right, because at a starting point, individuals right. just don't get the, the deduction and they won't get the credits. Won't get so, the credits. So that this provision is really punitive to, to individual right. U.S. shareholders. And um, we'll talk in a little bit about some of the, the accounting things to think about there, but I think it'll be coming up. All right, Nini, back to you. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump back in just around some observations related to guilty. Okay, so I think we touched upon some of these briefly, but, but let's go through that. So 
I think um, the first bullet here on foreign taxes paid by law CFCs, and I think we touched upon it that the the definition of the taxes that can get taken into account is the tax that that are the taxes that are attributable to attested income. So, if it's tested income and not net tested income, which includes the net between you know positive and negative um, CFCs, then that effectively means that you only get to take into account the the taxes of the the e and the CFC with the positive tested income. So so when you think about the global effective tax rate of the group to try to see whether you're at thirteen point point one two five, um, and you look at that, you you may surprise yourself if you if you have happen to have taxes in the in the loss pool essentially, and. The other related point is, is we mentioned before that because it's a U.S. shareholder by U.S. shareholder test, um, it, it's it's possible that that your gross inclusion could be higher because the the if there's a U.S. entity within the group that owns a loss chain, then that loss cannot be used to offset the, the income, and and who knows maybe they'll come up with. Uh, some sort of consolidation treatment, just like uh, the notice in the toll charge sort of suggest that you can aggregate the the, the result um, on a consolidated basis. So that's kind of something we need to wait and see. Um, the the other point on here is on the the how you determine the the the, the Q by um, and and here the the definition of the Q by is that it's it's to the extent it is used in the the production of the tested income. So again, there's a question of does that mean the Q by of the CFC that does not generate tested income this year cannot be taken into account? And and what if you know it's just a loss for this year and it it's expected to generate an income? Like when do you sort of measure and capture that? Um, so so something that. Hopefully, we'll get some more guidance from from the government. Um, next one is on the Section 962 election, and and this kind of goes towards uh, what can individual U.S. shareholders do, given the the really bad answer if if you are U.S. individual shareholders in the CFC, because you basically will pick up. 100% of the gross income with no relief at all, no deduction, no foreign tax credit. So if the individuals actually make the Section 962 election to be treated as a core for purposes of determining the subpart of that would allow um, a, a use of the foreign tax credit, but then it's not clear that you actually get uh, the 50% deduction. The yeah. Right. The, the, so, so you might get the credit, but you still don't get the 50% deduction, so it's still not a great answer. So then people might start thinking about whether you interpose a U.S. corporation, and, but then there are a lot of things to consider in that, in that area. Um, the next one, which is, I think, really important, and we kind of pointed to that a couple of times, is on the expense allocation that, um, because there's nothing has changed in terms of the the 904 foreign tax credit limitation um, rules in relation to guilty. So we think that you apply the normal rules, which means that any foreign source income that you get, and when you do the 904 foreign tax credit um, calculation, you would have to allocate the expense at the U.S. level to the the various buckets of income. And and once you do that, it's it's 
possible, to Peter's point, that you could pay much higher than 13.125% locally, but you might still be um, subject to incremental U.S. tax. And that's an important point. I know, Peter, you're going to go into an example here, but more and more as I go around the country and talk to people, they continue to point to a 13% minimum tax. And that, that that's factually not the case. Rarely is that going to be the case when you start to think about the expense allocations of what needs to happen here. So I'll let you walk through an example, but that's a big takeaway for people as they're, they're looking through where this applies. Well, you can't uh, really blame people if they read the joint explanatory statement um, <laughs> that Congress wrote to explain what they did. That statement says if you pay 13125 or more abroad, you have no residual tax. Yeah. But that's forgetting expense allocation. Yeah. Yeah. So we have uh, a lot of numbers, um, and I think we will um, try to do this uh, in a high-level uh, fashion. What we're trying to illustrate uh, in this example is really just two points. Uh, one point uh, that we're trying to show is that uh, expense allocation really makes a difference. Uh, the other point that we want to illustrate is uh, having a lot of tangible basis, um, QBI as the call uh, basis investment assets, um, is uh, very helpful to reducing uh, the amount of uh, your, your guilty. So uh, in this example, if you go to the third uh, column, and the third and fourth columns uh, are the uh, same uh, here, uh, with the exception of expense allocation. So uh, the numbers change really at the bottom. Um, we have a taxpayer that has a couple of CFCs, and they have 400 of uh, tested income. And what's interesting about this example, it just uh, works out uh, by coincidence that their foreign effective rate is 13.125%. Uh, that's a very significant number, that 13.18% uh, is the rate where if you had no expense allocation, uh, you would just uh, zero out your guilty income. You'd have no residual U.S. tax. And if you go to the bottom of the third column, what you'll see is, in fact, uh, zero, um, which is what you expect to see. If you paid 13 and a quarter abroad, when you go through all these calculations that uh, uh, Nini explained to us, you should end up with zero U.S. tax on guilty. But if you go to the fourth column, uh, there's one change, and that change is uh, around line uh, 16, which is uh, uh, expenses allocated. So this is a taxpayer that had domestic interest expense, and some of that domestic interest expense got allocated to the guilty basket. And so what happened is, instead of having uh, 150 of foreign tax credit limitation, they have 150 of guilty income in this example, 50 of interest expense was allocated against it, bringing their foreign tax credit limitation uh, you know, down to um, uh, uh, 21% of 100, instead of 21% of 150. So they can only uh, credit, uh, get a credit uh, for a, a reduced uh, amount. So you already haircut once, right? <laughs> you take your foreign taxes and you throw away 20% of them. But the point is, is that you might not even get all of that 80% because of this reduced foreign tax credit limitation. In this example, the taxpayer, instead of being able to get a credit for all you know, 80% of their foreign taxes, uh, and this example is 31, they only get credit for 21 um, of the 31, and they end up uh, with rounding $11 of uh, tax uh, that they're paying on guilty, even though their foreign effective rate was 13 uh, and a quarter. So this is obviously not a good answer for this taxpayer that adds over 2% uh, to their effective uh, tax rate on their uh, foreign uh, income. 
The last column is making a different point. Uh, there's no expense allocation in the last column. The difference in that last column is this taxpayer, instead of having 1,600 of QBI, has 4,500. You know, so this is a, a more um, uh, uh, capital-intensive uh, type of business. And uh, you know, taking the 10% of the 4,500, 450, there's a little interest uh, adjustment, uh, gets you down to 400. That is enough that the taxpayer's tested income is also 400. They have no uh, net excess of their tested income over their uh, 400 um, of um, deemed tangible return. So they have no guilty. So, um, you know, so one way to think about this is that uh, if, you know, you have a very high return on tangible assets, you're going to be in this system and you're going to pay guilty pretty much. I mean, it's very, very hard to avoid. Yes, and this illustrates the point that we're trying to make where it, your, your cap here is 21% you could end up paying from a standpoint of tax on the foreign income. So, And I guess the, and the other interesting point is we have the DRD, we're in a territorial system, but once you pick up subpart F income, you pick up the guilty income, and if you are companies that don't have a lot of you know tangible assets, what income is left to be yes. benefiting right. from the territorial System, right? Is it a territorial system? Right. <laughs> territorial question. It's a hybrid system. <laughs> I'm going to take that and run with it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like further information about this topic, please email the participants whose email addresses can be found in the description of this episode.